0: episode of the brothers trek about discovery as always i am matt coming to you from austin and as always in houston is my brother ken
1: say hello ken live long and prosper
0: there we go perfect for this episode the episode name is uh Leith, which is interesting because in greek mythology lathe this was a river to the underworld and uh was also uh the greek goddess of forgetfulness and oblivion you have any good ways to make that connect to what's going on in this episode, sir?
1: Well, not immediately. I mean, there's lots of hints and suggestions. It's a suggestive title, more than a purely descriptive one. So I think we have to kind of, you know, watch a few more episodes and see how some of this stuff pans out.
0: Yeah, because I don't feel like what was going on with Sarek was, you know, necessarily forgetful, obviously. If nothing else, it was, you know, stuck in his brain. He couldn't get it out, more like...
1: Well, I think it's another example of that Vulcan repressive then. Yeah, no kidding.
0: The scenes that were on Vulcan that happened right at the beginning of this episode were filmed at the Aga Khan Museum in Toronto. thought that was interesting, uh, with the name Khan in there, of course. Always a good reference. Uh, and then the uh, holographic battle simulation that we uh, run into later in the episode took 12 hours to shoot. Jason Isaacs apparently developed most of the fight choreography himself. Basing it on his uh, previous film experience. It is. So as always, I always like to take one of the actors that, we, uh, that are prominent in the episode and then sort of chit-chat about them, see uh, what other uh, cool stuff they've been in and where they come from. So I'm going to talk about uh, Jane Brooke here, who plays uh, Admiral Cornwall. Uh, she was born in Northbrook, Illinois up in our uh, neck of the woods. She's best known for her uh, regular role on Chicago Hope. She was in more than 100 episodes of that. She's also famous for the uh, uh, movie Gattaga with Uma Thurman, and as well as Kindergarten Cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger and his most famous line, It's not the Tuma. <laughs> uh, she also had a four-episode arc with William Shatner, of all people, and Boston Legal. And she also had a five-episode arc in uh, the uh, show Sports Night, which was one of my favorite shows. That was sadly short-lived, but another great Aaron Sorkin uh, show from the 90s. Uh, but it's really funny, because if you go back to her first, her very first credit listed on IMDb, she is listed as a uh, high school teacher in Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, otherwise known as The Quest for a Good Superman Movie, which we are still on The <laughs> Quest for, so let's get there come on let's make a good superman movie that'd be great i know i can that's like the second time i brought this up on the podcast but i'm just saying all right well that's all i got for behind the scenes stuff so as always let's get to it captain's log starting it's five year mission so we uh start on a vast cityscape looks like a brand new world turns out that new world is Vulcan, so it's not so new a world. It does have the red atmosphere that we are used to. However, as we have seen Vulcan in the past, it was very, you know, mountainous and cliffy. So if you kind of look throughout uh, the cityscape, you can see that there are not only many buildings and whatnot, but there are also uh, mountains as well protruding through that the cityscape, which I thought was a nice little touch to bring those other versions of Vulcan back together. We get to Sarek, who's with some kind of assistant of his. They give each other the uh, live long and prosper, or go off to board the ship. Cut to Discovery. Burnham and Tilly are kind of running, trying to get, uh, you know, into shape. Tilly needs to shave 6.5 seconds off her time, uh, according to Burnham, if she wants to join the command crew. Uh, She continues uh, to say, you know, this is the best way to command track, you know, shaving 6.5 seconds We'll uh, give her the physical attribute commendation, and uh, we'll you know, we'll next get her – we'll most likely get her put on a constitution class like the Enterprise, and then uh, get her on the first officer track. So that would be kind of her goal right there is to make it to the Enterprise. It would be kind of fun if there was some kind of like Cadet Tilly or, you know, like Ensign Tilly or something on the Enterprise that we could go back to. That would be fun. This, of course, uh, convinces Tilly that she uh, needs to speed up her time and uh, takes off. And as she takes off, we see Burnham, like, actually smile, which also proves that there is some sort of, like, you know, actual affection between these two characters. Also, I like their shirts. They say disco on them. took me a minute to kind of make that connection that this is actually part of the word discovery. So Mm -hmm. that was also kind of fun and neat. So we uh, cut then to uh, a Klingon ship, it appears like. Lorca and Nash are taking out Klingons left and right, who are sort of like not falling to their deaths but phasing in and out in some kind of projectile way uh we find uh we find out a little bit more about Nash's past being from Seattle, his dead mother, they're standing in a doorway, and Lorca goes, "We're gonna go high low so uh Lorca kind of slides out, takes them off while leaning on his elbow while uh, Nash then slides in behind and shoots <clears throat> the rest of them down. Then the holographic simulation ends. It seems like this must be some kind of precursor to the holodeck, right? Because the holodeck was one giant room where this sort of just is like a little like ringed area. I don't know, kind of tough. What do you make of all that?
1: Yeah, so this is another example of how we're making the, this period more futuristic than we remember it from the 60s. And of course, part of it is because the closer we get to this technology ourselves, the harder it is to believe that they, that don't, they don't have it <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Then. Yes, exactly. But it's also worth remembering that there are certain constraints to making a TV show in the 60s. Roddenberry wanted to include saucer separation. They could never put it in the budget, so we don't see it until the next generation. Although we do mention it in the original series. In the animated series. We do see the Holodeck that was on the Constitution class. It's in the episode The Practical Joker. So, in that sense, it's part of the part of the 1960s or 1970s you know official timeline. Right. We just never got to see it because they couldn't do things like this with special effects at any kind of price that would have been possible for TV.
0: So uh, Lorca turns out Lorca did a background check on him. He says you weren't just from Seattle; you were like from 0.26 kilometers from <laughs> Seattle. So how dare you say that you are? So uh, Lorca says he does the back. He he had done a background check on him. I like to split hairs, he says. But uh, Nash is like, so you had me checked out then? I guess I checked out. And Lorca says, uh, well, you wouldn't be uh, running around with these guns if uh, I didn't think you were ready for it. Lorca then tells him, uh, you know, hey, I had 24 kills. How'd you do? Nash says, 22. Oh, but no, Lorca finds out he was lying. He actually had 36 kills, to which he apologizes. And Lorca says, no, never apologize for excellence. I want my chief of security to shoot better than I do. And he offers offers the chief security job right there to Nash on the spot. Lorca says he needs somebody who learns and knows what it takes to survive and win. Back on Sarek's ship, we find out that his uh, destination has been altered. He turns to his assistant, and his assistant has apparently had been loaded up with some kind of, like, internal bomb. A fanatic, Sarah calls him. some uh, Part of some uh, contingent that believes that uh, the Vulcan should stick with logic and not help out these crazy humans or be a part of the Federation. His death will be the rally cry, rally cry to show... That Vulcans to show the Vulcans of this failed experiment known as the Federation. Sarik at the last minute sets up a force field to stop the explosion from killing him, ooh, but not from having the bulkhead explode.
1: So here we get a group. It seems awfully in you know, a reminiscent of kind of Enterprise Vulcans, maybe, uh, maybe even Romulans. You know that this sentiment of Arrogance, which I think runs deep in both the Vulcan and the Romulan cultures, it also ties into the Klingon ethnic purity uh, you know, issues. So, yeah, a lot of cross currents. Exactly. So, uh, back from
0: the opening credits, we find Burnham and Tilly in the cafeteria. Burnham tries to get Tilly to eat something that's a little more healthy for her, so she orders uh, burritos with uh, the roasted tomato salsa because tomatoes are better with lycopene.
1: Every everything's uh, better with lycopene.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She turns and sees Nash sitting by himself. She says, uh, "Rumors have been swirling about him. He apparently took on six Klingons by himself." She then pounces and sits down at Nash's table and asks him directly about the Klingons. He says, "You should never believe everything that you hear." He then meets Michael and promises to assess her from the here and now and not based on what he's heard. But just as they shake hands, Burnham starts to get weird. It's apparently a call from Sarek. Suddenly she is on Vulcan, seeing a memory when Sarek sent her to Starfleet and why. He didn't think she could handle the rigorous training on Vulcan. Amanda is begging Sarek to try and find a, find a, to show her the way. But then Sarek sees Burnham in his mind. What are you doing here? He asks. You brought me here, she says. Get out of my mind! And then just smacks her once and it's like a home run, just sails her over the fence. Commercial. Back from it, Burnham and Sarek stand in a void. He explains again, we hear again, in the show, that uh, his Katra is a part of her. She awakes startled in sickbay. Tilly then explains that the Katra is sort of like a soul. No one believes it. Even Lorca is dubious. The doctor calls it a myth. So we find out a little bit more about Burnham's past here. The same extremists that have uh, apparently tried to kill Sarek also tried to kill her so long ago, and that's when Sarek found her, and used his katra, his soul, to help repair her. She begs Lorca to try and find Sarek. Lorca, now in his ready room, is talking to a Vulcan of some high esteem. He says that he has, too, found out that ship Sarek was blown off course by extremists. His mission was to meet with two Klingon houses that were kicked out of Cole's new regime to undermine his authority. Ooh. Sarek has the ability to forge these treaties with people with not a logic-based ideology. So the Vulcans are happy to clean up the mess that the humans started. Ooh. He is lost. <laughs> we find out that... <laughs> I just like saying this. We find out that Sarek has been lost in a nebula near Neridia.
1: <laughs>
0: lost in a nebula near Neridia. Lorca says that uh, while you ponder and assess, there's a greater chance for peace dying. It's interesting here that we've got Lorca now talking about trying to find a chance for peace. He's always been so, like, dedicated to the war. I know he wants to win the war, but he never really talks about peace. So I thought that was an interesting change in the Lorca character. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Vulcan disagrees and says, "No, there are protocols that we must follow. We must continue to uh, we must continue to assess." And Lorca says, "You know what? You can tell the Vel- Vulcans that I am happy to clean up their mess." And shuts off the uh, shuts off the hologram.
1: Basically, part of our classic uh, conflict between the diplomats and the military people about how you solve problems. Right. And you know, going back to the original series, sometimes the diplomats have too many protocols, don't, uh, you know, don't take the most direct route, can can mistake talking for actually achieving some kind of lasting peace. And, of course, on the other side, Kirk, of course, accepted because he's the hero of our story. But, you know, we can easily imagine that the, you know, military guys are a little... You know, too quick to rush in where angels fear to tread, as I think they mention in a later uh, peace peacemaking episode or movie. So, you know, you've got this conflict between the direct action, which can throw things off the rails, and the more diplomatic approach, which can sometimes take too long, not get anywhere, prove, achieve no results for all their efforts. And I think one of the things it does is it establishes Lorca as kind of a, you know, rule breaking, shoot from the hip, you know, get right into it kind of a character, regardless of what the protocols or the the orders or the the right way to proceed are. And I think that's a lot of what this episode really is about. Uh
0: Well, too, you know, as we find in Next Generation, you can just put a diplomat on the front lines, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even Kirk, you know, to some extent is a diplomat. But, you know, we, I feel like we've got Lorca here who is not the diplomat. So <laughs> you have him on the front lines, and, you know, everybody is like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. So this is interesting. So, so the next shot we see is is the Discovery coming near the the uh, nebula. But the question is, is, did they spore drive in or did they regular warp in? Because if they regular warp in, that looks very different. But if they sport it looked like it was sport Drive fee. Yeah. So it's hard to say. So who's now like controlling it? Is it still is it still, you know, Stametz with his new you know, ideals or his new ability to do it? I don't know, that's the question. As we go to the bridge, this is the first time that we see Lorca sitting in the captain's chair. As we are used to from Star Trek II, uh, when in or near a nebula, the uh, scanners are all broken. You see signs of it up on the big screen like scanners, inoperative, bop, bop, bop. Michael then comes to the bridge. uh, She says she's okay, but it turns out, obviously, that they can't scan for Sarek and that using probes would take months. So what are they going to do? Well, Burnham has an idea. She goes down to engineering to talk to Stamets and create uh, what she calls a neural enhancer. Or what Stamets calls a fake mind meld enhancer. Ruby.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Stamets has changed a lot, hasn't he?
0: I I was wondering that too. I was I was his character. I mean, it's definitely fun, but yeah, his character definitely seems a little more like woohoo. Okay, yeah, what? Let's do this already. You know, it's like very different from the way we've seen him, where he's been very you know by the book and or not by the book. Yeah. But, you know, very like determined and like, no, I don't like these things, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas this time he's like, yeah,
1: you want to do it? Sure, let's try. So, of course, these spores, it's a a mushroom thing, right? (laughs) Fair. And, you know, I I think the way they're writing him or the way he's chosen to play it or maybe the way they envisioned it, you know, is... is (laughs) a guy who is like the the, buttoned-up scientist guy who's now experimenting with mushrooms a little too much. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. I like that.
0: So uh, then Stamets starts to, you know, like think about it all, like, oh my gosh, this is super interesting, a super highway connecting all of consciousness, you know. Lorca comes back with, we have exactly no time to discuss the metaphysical (laughs) connotations of this. I thought that was so great. <laughs> the great thing is is that, uh, you know, we do. We've got some time to talk about this. So um, I feel like, it, you know, no matter what, that this is the kind of thing that Stamets is into. This is in some ways like the spore drive, you know, like uh, another way of connecting, you know, one route to another. Here we're just doing it through, you know, consciousness as opposed to the physical superhighway drive of this. What's your take on all of this business?
1: Well, you know, there are some people who were like, wait a minute, uh, you know, Vulcans can do, you know, this vast telepathy over, you know, huge distances. This is yeah. new. Now, on the one hand, uh, we have to remember that Spock was only uh, half Vulcan. True. And so, you know, the fact that we didn't necessarily see Tuvok doing it uh, it, but even
0: then, from the Delta Quadrant, it's far too far, probably, to do what, uh, what what Sarek is pulling off here.
1: Well, and we also, you know, did he share his katra in a particular way that Sarek did? Yeah, fair. But then you think back to the Nemesis and the Remans and the way they were able to you know, attack especially Troy, you know, from a distance. Yeah. You know, that it didn't necessarily require, you know, proxy. It wasn't like it was a ranged-based attack. Yeah. You merely had to know who you were trying to communicate with. And, you know, in one sense, I think we're all familiar with the the idea of having someone else's voice in your head. Mm Mm-hmm. And they could be far away, or they could be dead, or whatever it is, and you're doing something and you you hear that voice, and you remember that person, and in some senses, this is really just, or could be, explained as just a more enhanced form of that phenomenon, as opposed to the Sarek sends a message, and Burnham receives the message. Mm-hmm. This could all be happening in Burnham's head, and because of Whatever insight she's gaining from this process, you know, she's making the right choices or whatever. There is a little bit of communication, of course, there at the end where she, you know, tells him to press the button. But at that point, they are in close proximity.
0: That's true. They're much closer, yeah.
1: This resolving this particular problem of, you know, other kinds of miscommunication, like, you know, when he tells her in episode two to, or, you know, part two of the pilot, however we want to call that. know to get out of the prison can all you know could just be her thinking well what would sarah do yeah and so you know she could be doing some of that here obviously he's involved in it although she could be just again this could be all happening in her head sarah doesn't want me to know this but i'm figuring out that Eric has actually not only been a good mentor but has occasionally screwed me over, which is a thing that you you know your own defensive mechanism. you know so we have the episode where uh, several episodes i think where we have to get into two head mm. and there's a there's a long arc in Star trek online where Tuvok being messed with by a telepathic entity, and you have to go with him into a kind of a dream world and encounter other people. And this all feels like it's of a piece with this other Star Trek stuff, Uh
0: uh-huh.
1: the the Nemesis stuff, you know, some of this Tuvok stuff, you know, including the episode where he goes back and we see Sulu again. So I don't feel that this is really new. It may be developed. It may be, you know, a next iteration. But we also have the case that Surak has exchanged Katja with uh, Michael Burnham in a way that's not typical of just your regular old mind meld. Yeah,
0: certainly does seem that way. Plus, if it, he used it to, like, help, you know, heal her, Right. they got a very different uh, situation going on. So then, in a uh, in a line that sort of confirms your thought about uh, the uh, mushrooms being used in a different way, perhaps by uh, Stamets, he says, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So your idea is kind of like uh, taking a, a hit of speed right into his catra. Burnham's like, "Well, I would prefer adrenaline shots, but <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> close, close." They have to go uh, closer into the nebula to find him. However, they can't take ca- they can't take Discovery because of the Spore Drive. It would go boom. So they opt to take for a shuttlecraft.
1: Here's another okay. vulnerability that suggests Spore Drive not the drive of the future. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. That'd make that
0: whole final sequence of uh, Rathacon, uh a lot different. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she says she needs someone to help her assist and asks for Tilly, who can not only control the neural optimizer, but it could, al- could also lend uh, moral support. Lorca says, you're also going to need a pilot, and I know a damn good one. Cut to the shuttlecraft. We see Nash in the uh, pilot seat. Michael watches as Lorca comes aboard, and he walks all the way up and tells Nash uh, to make sure he- to bring her back in one piece. But I'm not talking about the shuttlecraft. I mean Burnham. No pressure, right? No pressure in this at all. This is just like Lorca to make some kind of ridiculous, tough choices for his crew, right? Yeah. Do this, or don't come back at all.
1: It's the old Spartan injunction. Come back carrying your shield, or on it.
0: Meanwhile, Lorca is uh, playing with a map. We cut to his ready room. Uh, We can only guess what he's doing. He's Some sort of strategy, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But then we uh, get a call from Saru and say that uh, Admiral Cromwell has just landed – or her cruisers come into space and wants to board. Lorca kind of knows he's in trouble now. Cornwall's unhappy with uh, Lorca's recent decision-making. You know, uh, Nash, the POW, Burnham, the convicted mutineer, Stamets, the – using eugenics. Yeah. You know, leading muse- uh, leading uh, rescue missions from the most technologically advanced ship in the fleet.
1: This is like, you know, a a role-playing game in which the the players all come up with these kind of zany characters, one of which might be difficult to explain in a standard Star Trek scenario, but now we've got three of them. You know, how do we explain this? Well, the DM's going to find a way. He's going to come up with some explanations. (laughs) We're getting that heavy dose of (laughs) now the Admiral showing up and going, wait a minute. This is too crazy. You know, it's like the old story. You know, you've got this kind of all-human world, and, you know, suddenly the lizard man, the dwarf, the elf, you know, uh, and the half-orc show up. <laughs> this is the adventuring right. party, and you're like, yeah, nobody likes you. You're all, you know, <laughs> they're all a bunch of, like, human villagers, and, you know, some of you are basically monsters. this is This is that kind of a scenario where... We've got an awful lot of non-standard Trek characters working.
0: Yeah. Lorca says, All right, this isn't the only reason you came here. What's really going on? She says, I came to see my friend. Fine, he said. Let's stop talking like Starfleet officers and start talking like friends. And he pulls out a bottle of whiskey. Commercial. So, thanks to uh, Memory Alpha, I've been able to ascertain use of alcohol in the Trek universe. Here's some of the ones that popped up, although I feel like there had to have been more, but maybe not. Of course, our two most famous are probably – or our three most famous are probably uh, the Saurian brandy, right? We've Mm -hmm. heard the Romulan ale, uh, the Klingon blood wine.
1: Uh, Mr. Scott always seemed to have a pretty substantial stash. I think McCoy did as well.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, well, that's true. He had some. Uh, there was that episode early on in the early in the original series where he had some up in his like medicine cabinet, basically. Yeah. You know, uh, but we also know of, uh, despite being spared the dubious effects of alcohol, Vulcans also have two other kinds of alcohol, which are the Vulcan brandy and the Vulcan port. Uh, we also see, uh, obviously, the Tennessee whiskey that they all share around the campfire in Star Trek V. And then, of course, you know, Next Generation has its synthahol. So some uh, quick observations about alcohol around the the Star Trek universe. Again, I'm sure there's more, but those are the ones I was able to uh, find there. Back at it. The shuttlecraft is now blowing through the nebula. Tilly says the one thing that always helps her whenever she's kind of freaked out is to talk. Hmm. I'm shocked to find out that piece of information. Thank you, Tilly. I never would have guessed. We haven't seen any examples of this in any of the previous episodes. Burnham is seeing uh, Sarek's thoughts again. She was uh, supposed to be proof that humans and Vulcans could coexist, but she is now his greatest disappointment. Hmm. We've kind of been wondering what Sarek's thought about her mutineer status. Does this mean we know now? Hard to say. She throws on the neural enhancer, boom, and goes in. She says, don't, uh, don't pull me out, no matter what, the sensors stay. And we go back to the previous flashback. Amanda is handing her a copy of Alice in Wonderland. Sarek returns from talking to the head of the expeditionary committee, tells her again that her application has been rejected because she is human. Burnham, now standing aside, says, why are you doing this? He comes back at her again. She blocks the fight. They fight back. You brought me here, he says, or she says. Back to discovery. We get the feeling that Lorca and Cromwell probably have a past. Or Cromwell. Cornwall, Cornwall. whatever her name is, yes. Um
1: I think you're thinking of uh our our founder, the
0: uh Yeah, Zephyrin Cochran.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can't remember his first name, but yeah, his last name is Cromwell. Um <clears throat> Anyway, so Lorca says, uh, I'm on the front line. I don't have time for niceties. Cornwall says, you haven't been the same since Verdun. Since Less than a week ago, you were being tortured. How do you feel about that? Lorca says, well, I didn't know you were practicing again, because I've only got 50 minutes with you. Slowly puts his hand on her knee. She stands up and takes off that badge. Oh, yeah, brown chicken, brown cow in the in the, <laughs> the Star Trek universe. back on the shuttle they try to uh they bring out or they bring uh they bring burnham out of it uh nash basically saying i outrank you do what i say uh they then try to pick apart sarah's fixation on her graduation day what is it nash points out if you're dying you're not thinking about your failures you're thinking about what you would have done different so we kind of get the sense here that nash know nash knows because he's been there right how many months did he spend in that prison? Seven months. He knows what it's like to be like near your, your dying breath. So we kind of get that idea uh, blown up for us right here. Burnham decides, well, that's it. I'm going to go back in. I think I can do it this time. Commercial. Back to it. Uh, we hear Sarek say again, she cannot thrive in the Vulcan service. He fights her again. What are you hiding, she says. Let me into your mind. It's the only way I can save you. The failure this day was mine, and mine alone, says Sarek. Back into his conversation with the uh, head of the expeditionary committee, he says, I have created in her a being of exquisite logic to rival the best of our species. The commander says, you have done so not once, but twice. Sarek says, what does my son, Spock, have to do with this situation? He has not yet even begun his studies at the the science academy. The expeditionary committee says uh, he would only pick one of the experiments that Sarek has created. It's either Spock or Michael. He chooses Spock. Michael feels anger. She says, why? Why did you not just tell me that this was the case? Sarek says, well, Spock went above my wishes and chose Starfleet over the expeditionary group. But Dad now feels shame over it. Dun-dun-dun. You made me believe I failed you, said Michael. Instead, I have failed you, Michael Burnham, says Sarek. Dun-dun-dun. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of stuff to pick apart, a lot of canon that's now been uh, adjusted and changed and modified, which uh, all of it I love, I I will add. So we get here uh the idea that we know that part of the reason that Sarek was so angry for him that he chose Starfleet as opposed which we've known all along he's always been upset about that choice mm-hmm. but we know even more so now that it had to do with him excluding Michael from it to make way for Spock and then Spock goes behind his back and makes his way to Starfleet. Uh we also of course uh uh, find out that the the uh, the Vulcans didn't necessarily abhor the idea of a half Vulcan, half half human, nor the right. idea of a human learning the teachings and doing them correctly, but they didn't necessarily want to propagate that idea either. It seems like
1: right. Uh, you know, I think part of what they want to do is, you know, they're willing to have a test case. But they want just the one test case and then they'll try another test case. Right. This is also a feature, I think, of long lived species. And the Vulcans are certainly long lived. That they'll, you know, it's like we don't need to rush. We don't need to conduct, you know, 84 experiments simultaneously. Right. We'll do one. We have time. And then we'll do another. We got time. We can be patient. There's no hurry.
0: So again, what we seem to find here is is that Sarek uh, feels shame. So does this mean that Sarek then had emotions all along, fighting them possibly as Spock has? If we think about his interactions with all of his like human counterparts, right, like his Amanda and I can't remember what the other one is in Next Generation, but you know uh, all these human attachments he has, we have to sort of think that possible. There has to be some kind of also emotions hiding underneath that. And we know it's the, the Vulcan's plan is to always, or the Vulcan ideal is to always have logic fight the emotions. So right. either Sarek wasn't as good as that, or his emotions, he allowed his emotions to overtake him more than he should. Well, I think probably then, he, go part
1: ahead. Of, part of what we have is that we're inside his own head. Yeah. And so I think, too. I think part of what would happen is if we were inside any Vulcan's head, we would see this conflict, this repression in which the logic was suppressing the emotions. So instead of the emotions being expressed, you know, perhaps in a stoic, and you know, therefore moderated, and uh, in a way, they're being repressed. So I don't have emotions. I'm going to hide the emotions. I'm going to not feel the emotions. I'm not going to get in touch with my emotions. I'm right. just going to pretend they don't exist when clearly they do. I mean, this is part of what, one of the things we learn in Pan Far, is that it's all going on inside the subconscious, yeah. and the Vulcan's just. You know, keep it there in the subconscious; they don't access it. And well, so. we also
0: see that too when Sarek, in the next generation episode, where yeah. Sarek has uh so mind meld with him and right. he's got the he's got the emotions running through his head. Mm-hmm. this also I think gives us a little more insight into Spock too, because like you know you are a uh you are basically what you're raised to be, and so if he saw his father also fighting with his emotions. Then also, that could give us a little more, you know, how hard it was for uh, Spock.
1: Yeah, I think over the long arc of Spock, you know, we get a sense of someone who kind of accepted their emotions in a much more, you know, complete way than yeah. I think most Vulcans end up doing. Because he's got all this human pals.
0: Yes, exactly, exactly. Kirk showing him the way. Speaking of showing him the way, Michael says, tell Sarek, show me how to save you like you saved me. And so here she does a uh, Viking. A uh, Viking. <laughs> of, a Viking. She does a Viking mind meld. Uh, <laughs> I think
1: that's when you cut to my head with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you put it on a pike. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Pike.
0: Uh, so, so anyway, she Vulcan mind melds with him. So, of course, now we have to ask ourselves, is this her doing it? Is this obviously him? I mean, again, they're stuck in their mind. They're stuck in his mind. So I guess yeah. either way, it's all him probably anyway. But I was just wondering if this shows us if maybe she has some sort of, because of his katra, if she has some sort of key into being able to do a mind meld. Be interesting to see if that pops
1: up later. I also wonder if, if she's a horcrux. <laughs>
0: Yes, maybe she's a <laughs> Uh She then awakes on the shuttlecraft. Serik awakes on his ship and hits the transponder button. And boom, the shuttle goes off to find him. Back on Discovery, we see uh, Cornwall and Loka uh, in bed with Lorca. Uh, evidence of torture on his back. She goes to touch them. And he immediately flips out, flips her over, and presses a phaser to her face. Okay, maybe this isn't the way he should have handled this and uh <laughs> but she has definitely seen enough. She says that uh, she won't be bl- uh she says uh, that she won't anymore be blinded by your victories and she feels that tonight was all about her or all about making her like back off. Uh I can't leave Starfleet's, Starfleet's most powerful weapon in the hands of a maniac. Don't take my ship from me, says Lorca. It's all I've got. Yes, I lie sometimes. And she says back, I hate that I can't tell if this is really you or not. She leaves. Saru then suddenly chimes in. Sereric has been found, but he is wounded. Cut to sickbay. Burnham and Lorca stand and watch. He won't be able to make the make the talks. Luckily, Lorca says the Cornwall can. they will take a small contingent so as not to spook the Klingons. He, Lorca says she'll do anything to keep the chance at peace alive. Lorca does not feel at peace... Er, ah, Sorry. Burnham does not feel at peace with what has happened. Sarek has sort of thrown her for the loop. For a loop, it's really uh, kind of like made her rethink everything in her life. Uh, He then thanks Lorca for going after Sarek. Lorca then tells her, I didn't do it for him. I did it for you. And then he offers her the science post on the the bridge. She says, I'm grateful to serve under a captain like you. Interesting there. Uh, She then moves in to talk to Sarek help me understand she says we're supposed to grow closer not further apart that's what families that's what families do uh sarah of course won't give in won't like have this conversation with you and she she says fine i won't push you but we will have this one conversation one day father cut to the shuttlecraft we see cornwall uh says that when she gets back, they'll sort of figure out how Lorca can step down, get the help he needs, and then we'll get you back in the chair as quickly as we can. This also sets up to me that I think something bad is going to happen to her. Yeah, yeah. him in the hallway. Tilly comes running by. She, she stops Tilly and says, I lied. There are a million ways to the captain's chair. Find your own path. Tilly says, I have, and runs off. Back down in the cafeteria, we see Nash sitting in there uh, drinking some tea. Uh, Burnham gets her own green tea. They sit down to talk. Oh, She says to Nash uh, about Sarek, I realized that I could never be what he wanted me to be. And then I realized that that goes both ways. I can never be what he wants me to be. My conflict always, uh, always used to be between emotions and logic. But now it's my emotions that are in conflict, she says. I feel angry, but I want to love. I hurt, but I want to hope. What is this? she asks Nash. Being human, he says. She extends her hand and they meet again. So this is very interesting here because we've got uh we've got this like quick budding, at least friendship happening now between Nash and Pardon. Thank you. I don't know why her name escaped me. So I, I, that happened a little bit quick, maybe. I, I, don't, I don't know. Obviously, there are also two outsiders on the on the interp- or on the discovery, so that also could be pushing them together as well. And they,
1: they just did this critical mission together.
0: That's true. But clearly, everything that has happened here with Sarek has also gone on to change Burnham, right? We sort of we see her making a choice now to become more emotional, figure out more what's because obviously she's been stunted by it, right? You know, we see in the scene when she says, you know, I, you know, I, I, I hurt, but I want to love, I, you know, hate, but I want to, but I want to hope, like, I mean, all of that is just her way of saying, like, this isn't the way I was brought up, so now she's sort of emotionally stunted, now she sort of has to, like, refine not only herself, but refine her emotions that have been suppressed into her self-conscious, as you said, for so long.
1: I also think that the way she greets, yeah, Nash, yeah, it seems, uh, like, that's a particularly human, you know, greeting. She's dropping the, at least, for, you know, for this moment, the kind of Vulcan austerity.
0: Exactly. And the first time he goes to shake her hand, she sort of like, she sort of, she doesn't take it right away. till yeah. Until he has to, like, nudge her, remember? Like, hey, this is how you do it. Boom, boom. So, yeah, that's also interesting. So, uh, now we go to uh, uh, Kenkari 6. We see uh, Cornwall here. She's been dropped off. And sure enough, as predicted, it's a double cross. Dun-dun-dun. Cornwall's guards are taken out. Cole comes on as a hologram. And the two houses have now been re-entered into the United Klingon Empire. And cloaking devices will be given. And then we see uh, the Admiral taken into custody. Back on Discovery, Saru comes to Lorca and tells him of the double cross. Lorca tells Saru to uh, call Starfleet and ask for orders. Saru says, uh, oh, usually we only take our own way of thinking on these things. So I guess we've seen growth here in Lorca, or is this maybe some sort of version of self-preservation where now he
1: feels like he needs to... Yeah, I think he's 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 gotten a little too close to the fire, he's gotten burned, and now he's twice shy, which is probably sensible in the in the scheme of things, but it also, uh, you know, is the kind of thing where, you know, if something were to happen to her and, I mean, he would kind of be in a clear. Yeah. In the, in the sense that like she has an action plan to take him off the ship. Right. So, you know, you can see why he would not want to be, the same old Lorca, rash and crazy, break her out, and then she's like, "You were
0: crazy and rash." <laughs> yeah, yeah, for breaking me out, crazy. Yeah. So the final shot as Saru leaves is Lorca lurking off, it, l- lurking.
1: This is a new verb. <laughs> uh,
0: yep, is Lorca looking <laughs> off into space, and then we pan down and we see his phaser is still in his back, in the back of his pants. Dun, dun, dun cut the credits but next week next week looks fun looks like we have some sort of time loop going on always some of my favorite episodes whenever there's some some kind of timey-wimey fun thing going on there uh and uh we also see mud so mud comes back in this episode so we'll have to see how this all connects and if maybe mud is behind the craziness that is occurring in the timeline awesome well that's all i got anything of yours that we want to hit
1: No, I think we've we've covered it pretty well. All right. Excellent.
0: Well, uh, just some quick business here at the end of the the episode. As I said, I did get married this past weekend. That was fun and exciting, and everything was amazing about it. Uh, But I will be on my honeymoon next week, so no episode next week unless Ken decides he wants to do something fun and post something up there. But we'll be back then in two weeks with a double episode of the show as we uh, catch up on the episode, two episodes that I missed, and uh, we'll be back, it. It's going to be fun and exciting. So, as always, thanks for listening to the show. Please uh, do everything you can to, uh, you know, make us look good. Uh, follow us on uh, SoundCloud, look us up on iTunes and leave a comment. Follow us on Facebook. Do any of those fun things that uh, make it look like we've got a real podcast going here and maybe we can get more people to join in on the fun. But until then, until two weeks from now, as always, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm saying goodbye. Say goodbye, Ken.
1: Peace and long life. That's
0: right, and we'll see you all in two weeks.